Welcome to this podcast by the Allergy, Immunology, and Inflammation Assembly of the ATS. This series of podcasts is produced by the Early Career Working Group and targeted to clinicians and scientists in their early post-training years. Today's podcast will focus on a topic of particular interest to junior investigators, obtaining your first independent investigator award. Here to talk with us today about some tips and tricks to approaching this first major grant are three faculty members, all at different points in their careers. Dr. Mitch Ullman is a senior investigator and professor of medicine at the Cleveland Clinic and advises multiple younger faculty on research and grants. Dr. Blanca Himes is an assistant professor of informatics in biostatistics and epidemiology at the University of Pennsylvania and just recently obtained her first career grant. And finally, Dr. Beth Moore is a professor of microbiology and immunology at the University of Michigan and sits on NIH grant review study sections. We all hope that you find this panel discussion informative and useful. Some investigators or early career investigators may have already applied for small grants or training grants in the past. I think even for people with some experience, you know, on our level, a career award uh, level grant can be pretty intimidating. So I was wanting to start off, uh, Dr. Ullman, if you could just kind of let us know how you set about the plan for your first R01. So uh, thanks, uh, Mark. Maybe I'll answer a slightly different question, is what advice do I give my current trainees as they're preparing their first R01? And I would say one thing that you really want to focus on is to have a compelling rationale, both clinical and biological, and if you could do both, that's great. So how do you do that? And I think you have to spend a little bit of background time knowing your field, and focus not so much on what is known, but what is not known, uh, i.e. the gaps in knowledge. And then sort of spend some time, you know, on the, on the top of the mountain in a quiet place and come up with what is the key questions in your field. Now, sometimes you can glean those from review articles. Other times you can glean them from uh, senior investigators in the field that maybe would be your mentor, that would be a really good source of getting the key questions. If you have a K grant and a mentor grant, ask your, your mentor. And then I would, again, on the mountaintop, take a pencil and a pad and make a little working model, is what I always recommend, and that's what I do as well, even now, and sort of see where the pieces are known and see what's not known, and then say, okay, well, this is... These are the key questions in the field. This is my working model. Now, how do you design a set of experiments that will test that model in complementary ways using gain and loss of function approach? And and I would take advice liberally from experts in the field, from current study section members, and I would float your ideas for local senior PIs at your institution, just sort of say, hey, what do you think of this? And, and what I would really do is spend a little time, write an aim page with a diagram, and send it around to as many people as you know and let them critique it because I think that's where their money is going to be. And I think most senior people don't mind doing that. It only takes them an hour, and you'll get a lot of good advice. And, and then one, my one last piece of advice is something that I asked Julian Soloway when I was writing a grant. I said, well, how do you come up with ideas? And one of the things that he said is to suspend disbelief. And basically in the science world, that means 
don't necessarily accept the dogma and challenge the dogma. And so that's all, and I'll stop there. I think that's great advice. Thank you. Do- Dr. Himes, I wonder what approach did you take in Maybe what were some of the challenges that you faced as you were sort of putting your kind of first big grant together? Um, I suppose my first big grant uh, would have been a K99R00. Um, and, and yeah, putting that together for the first time is um, has a lot of barriers or a lot of challenges, I'd say, um, just because you're so new to doing it and there's so many things that you don't know about that it, it takes a lot of time. Um, you have to learn how the NIH works. Um, what paperwork they require, what paperwork your institution requires, how many people at your institution have to be a part of this, Um, sort of all these things that don't have to do with science, right? Um, I think up until the time when one writes a big grant, one is usually just focused on science, you know, all the things that Mitch already discussed, what's known, what's not known, and and that part in some sense is more fun, um, I found, um, than thinking about a large grant the first time. Um, but once you get past all of the sort of structure of the grant, writing the science actually is a time that I find to be very enjoyable because you you actually can let your imagination run wild and think about all these creative things um, that you would love to do. Um, you may not really be able to do all of them, but it, it's sort of this free time to just really let your mind wander. Um, so the challenge is how do you go from that stage of thinking, oh, I would like to do all of this stuff to putting something down on paper that's really compelling and that will be funded. Um, and so that requires you to do homework about, you know, what is a good grant and and not just what is a good grant, but what's a good grant that can get funded and where. Um, and so that, again, requires more homework on your part um, to figure out how, how what study sections are out there, where your grants might land. Um, in the case of a mentored award in, um, that I put in first, it's, of course, who are your mentors, um, identifying them and, and putting a strong team together. For mentored awards, you know, what are, what are the new skills that you want to learn and, and how is all of this package going to be put together in a way that will launch you to be an independent investigator? So, again, to me, all of that is very overwhelming um, the first time you're doing it. So there's multiple challenges, but um, but it's all doable. And, um, you know, one starts early and gets involved in the process and the fun things um, along the way sort of keep you going. Certainly sounds like there's a... A lot going on. You both mentioned really trying to seek out advice from senior uh, folks and other members in the field. I wonder, Dr. Moore, if you could sort of speak to that in, in terms of you know, who you sought out for advice when you were doing kind of your first career-level grant. Yeah, I'd be happy to say uh, something about that. Well, I think your your mentor is the first person you start with. And I think a a big challenge in all of these mentored grants or your first R01 is trying to move into an area that will be slightly different from what your mentor was doing because obviously what these training grants are trying to do is create a scientist with new expertise working in a new area that's going to be novel. And so usually what you need to do is identify a mentor who can kind of help with the parts you've done so far, but also a mentor for where you want to go. And depending on what the grant is going to be, that will help you identify who that appropriate mentor is. So one of, I think, the most important things you can do is sketch out what your idea is for the grant, what the preliminary data are, maybe even just in bullet points, and kind of a rough outline of what you think the aims are going to be, and schedule what we call a chalk talk, where you stand up in front of a whiteboard and you get um, you know, three or four or five other people in the room to kind of listen to your ideas and see if they make sense. And hopefully you could have that other person who you think would be a good mentor. 
Certainly, if you're thinking about a mentored grant, you want to make sure that you also identify mentors. At least one of your mentors should be someone who's really trained other successful investigators in the past. And so sometimes you might think about a mentor in terms of their career development um, potential as well as their scientific expertise. And so I think uh, having a chalk talk where you really uh, seek advice and then go back from that, use that to refine the grant, and maybe have time to have another chalk talk as you refine the aims before you really spend a significant amount of time writing, that can really help focus the grant. So, of course, what this means is you have to start really early. And really starting a year in advance is, is not unreasonable to be thinking about the grant that you want to submit. I think that, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I think it's it's easy for a lot of young investigators with the amount of work that goes into these um, with the number of people they're talking to and also with their maybe inexperience in grants in general or at least in these level of grants to make you know, kind of big mistakes on these grants that, you know, hopefully get caught before they go in, but but maybe don't. And these are mistakes that maybe are just, as they come from inexperience or they just, you know, don't know any better. And I think certainly knowing some of those pitfalls in advance uh, might be helpful. You know, under Dr. Morris, um, are there any particular big mistakes that you've seen or, or caught or, or maybe even mistakes that you had on, on some of your early grants or pitfalls that you'd recommend avoiding? Yeah, sure. So I think in a mentored grant, one of the biggest pitfalls we see as reviewers on study section is that the activities that are outlined in the career development plan and the, um, the research skills that the candidate is going to learn the way that they're outlined in the candidate statement and the mentor statement, if those don't mesh, that's a big red flag that you and your mentor are not speaking to each other and people say, oh, so-and-so didn't read this and things like that. So one really big important pitfall is just to make sure that after you've written your candidate statement and your career development plan and your mentor has written his or her candidate statement and career development plan, that those two things are really mirror images of each other because what you'd like is for the reviewers to get that information twice. Um, Galen Taves was my mentor, and he used to tell me that the key to writing a good grant is to tell people what you're going to tell them, tell them, and tell them again what you've told them. And so there is a little bit um, of repetition for those key elements that I think is important. Um, another uh, major thing, I want to reiterate what Mitch said earlier, is that if your grant is simplified enough that you can draw a diagram of what your aims are, then you're probably ready to write. If you can't conceptualize your grant, even if you don't use that figure in the grant, you need to be able to at least conceptualize it and be able to kind of draw it on, on paper. And I think that's an important first step before you begin to write. And then finally, I would say that the other... Um, a uh, major thing that I see that is a problem is that people are just sloppy, and there's nothing that irritates a reviewer more than reading a grant that's got spelling errors and punctuation errors, and it just looks like the the person who wrote the grant didn't have the time to worry or care about it. And so believe me, reviewers are reading those grants when they're busy. So spell check, spell check, spell check again, and make sure that you put it away for 24 or 48 hours and then read it again. Have somebody else read it. So really have absolute zero tolerance for you know, verb tense errors, spelling errors, things like that, because it just puts the reviewer in a bad mood. Uh, Dr. Ullman, are, are there any particular pitfalls you try to counsel people against or to look out for as they're putting these awards in or preparing these grants? Sure, and, and I wholeheartedly agree with what Beth said as well. And I would say as a junior person, you have to be cognizant of your relative strengths and limitations. But don't be limited in your thinking 
by your technical repertoire because what you what you can do is come up with the best question and then get unimpeachable consultants who have experts in the technical aspects that you don't and you just get them to write a letter and almost everybody's happy to do so and so you know what I'm trying to say is be bold you know if you can't do a particular technique as long as somebody's published it you know it'll be okay and it's better to put in a better question than it is to limit your grant thinking by your technical expertise at the time you're writing it. Another thing is, I think, uh, as Beth says, think about writing the grant from the reader's point of view. And so in that, not only is the spelling errors, grammar errors, but more, almost more importantly, writing clearly and concisely. And I emphasize that to my people all the time. And uh, my favorite sort of thing to say is I was I was driving one time into work and NPR was interviewing some author and he said, What's the what's the what's the most important thing you could tell junior writers? And he said, Omit useless words. <laughs> so write write learn to write clearly and concisely and that's something you you, you're not born with. You have to actually, there are books about how to write science and go ahead and get one and some of them are workbooks and my people have all gone through it. Uh, you have to t carve out time in your early career to say, I'm going to learn how to write well because your entire living for the rest of your career is going to be based on your ability to write. So I'd say carve out some time to do that. And the last uh, point that I'll make is that I often get questions about, well, should I go back to the same study section because they didn't like it, or, or should I change the study section? I would say that if they liked the idea and they thought it was significant, then by all means fix the, fix the you know, address the critique and go back to the same study section because they liked the idea. But if they didn't like the idea and they didn't think it was significant, you're not going to get a lot of traction by fixing a technical aspect of the grant and going back to the same study section. So either change study sections or write a new grant because it's just not compelling enough to, to get their attention. Hey, those are, are great points. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Himes, are there sort of on the, on the same bandwagon pitfalls, things to avoid, uh, mistakes that you've seen or made uh, that you can kind of warn people about as they're putting these in? Sure. Um, so one pitfall, which I guess I'm going to combine with advice, is that um, you should, in addition to seeking out advice from very senior people, is also just find junior people, people who are somewhat similar to you in career stage, and, and try to get um, samples of people's grants that have been successful. Some people are, are comfortable sharing their whole grant with you, some just their aims, but um, it's really hard to come up with an entire grant from scratch, never having looked at a sample and just sort of downloading a whole bunch of forms from the NIH. Um, I think it's critical that your mentor can help you sometimes, but but sometimes it's also just helpful to go out there on your own and talk to your peers and get um, samples, and and they can really guide you with sort of nitty gritty details that that uh, that are sort of quite they'll come up and cover questions that you hadn't even thought of um, because you just don't have experience um, um, with putting a grant together. In terms of other pitfalls, I'd say um, there are some people out there who think of grant writing as, win as sort of a lottery process where you just put something out there and then eventually maybe 
um, somebody will give you an award. And I think that that's a very dangerous way to think, especially for a, a junior investigator. Um, I would say you have to be very calculating um, with, with how you prepare a grant um, to increase the chances that you'll get funded. Beth said repeat, 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 and I will repeat, repeat, repeat that you have to start early, um, just like she and Mitch already said. You do have to start early, figure out exactly what you're going to do. You may not have your aims down exactly, but but you have to start that process early so that come time to submit the grant, you don't have this sloppy mess together um, because nothing will turn off us, the reviewers more than just seeing a sloppy grant. And, and, you know, when one is reviewing, it's absolutely true that you see grants that people didn't have the decency to sort of prepare thoroughly, and that just turns you off immediately because, you know, the reviewers are spending their own time looking at this, and, and they want to see a good product. Um, I mean, of course, we all make mistakes, and our grants can't be perfect, but, but at least we've been thoughtful about what we've put together. Um, and I think that sort of preparing a grant to the best of your abilities, make sure that other people have checked it and think it's reasonable, just really increases your chances to actually get a grant. So, so yeah, on the one hand, I'd say that's the procrastination mistake, right? Do not procrastinate. Take it very seriously. Um, but on the other hand, don't be such a perfectionist that you just cannot get a grant out the door um, because then I'd say other people err on the side of, well, I could keep fine-tuning this and that. And that's true. We could sort of spend an infinite amount of time refining a grant and then just never get it out the door and then and then you're going to miss your shot, right? You can't let too much time elapse as a trainee um, before submitting a grant. So so make sure that you you enforce the deadlines with yourself or something to make sure that a good grant goes out in a reasonable amount of time. Great advice all around. I, I think in the last couple minutes, uh, let's just like to take a sort of another quick uh, trip around the table. Um, just kind of one or, or two pieces of quick parting advice to the uh, young investigator who's either thinking about putting a grant in or, or maybe is in the process of, of putting it together, a quick sort of piece of advice you'd like uh, to give out. Um, I think, uh, Dr. Uh, Ullman, if we'd uh, start with you. Uh, sure. So say just a few morsels is hang in there. Don't give up. Perseverance is... is is going to get you through your career. And uh, one piece that I forgot to mention in the last section is there is uh, NIH puts out a, a uh, criteria for review of R01 that the reviewers get. And I would say go ahead and look at that as the writer and address all those questions because that's what's in the reviewer's mind when they're scoring your grant. So it'd be nice to know what the features are that have to be in there, because that's what they're thinking. So, And then uh, take advice from senior PIs and leave your ego at the door. And at the end of the day, oh, sign up to review grants, too. I think that's the most potent lear learning mechanism for how to write a grant is to review some. And hang in there. Great. Uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Himes, uh, what what would you say would be the kind of the big takeaway you'd like listeners to, to take from this podcast? Sure, I'd say that um, that you, the grant writer, um, no matter where you are in your trainee stage, are, are the person in charge of making this grant happen, um, whatever grant you may have in mind. Um, of course, you need help, and, and, and your mentors are going to be there for you. Hopefully, if not, you need new mentors. Um, but you, you definitely need help. You can't do this completely on your own, but ultimately, you're the one sort of steering the ship. You have to make sure that these things happen. Um, so, so be the driving force. Um, behind making a good grant happen, at least as good as you can possibly make it. And again, to repeat, repeat, repeat what Mitch just said, um, 
uh, make sure you have thick skin because even if by some chance you are one of those lucky persons who gets their first grant um, funded, um, at some point in your life you're just going to get a uh, rejection. And, and even if you get a grant funded, chances are some of the reviewers are going to tell you some 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 things that may not sound very nice to you. Um, and, and in my experience, re grant reviewers are trying to be very helpful, um, so keep that in mind. Um, the, the feedback that people give you, whether it's personal or through evaluation in a study section, it's, it's meant to improve your science. Um, so, so hang in there and, and keep going. And if you're one of those person who sort of whimpers away after somebody criticizes you, then you're, you're not really going to survive in this game. Uh, I think finally, uh, Dr. Moore, some uh, parting words for our listeners. Yeah, so I would say one of the most important things you can do to make yourself a competitive applicant is publish the papers that you have in progress. There's a lot of people that have things that are sort of in the works, and the more of those you can push through and get out so that your CV really shows a record of accomplishment and productivity, that's going to, to really help because all of these grants are competitive, and the more competitive you are, the better your chances. So that's one important thing. Um, the other thing is is generating preliminary data. I mean, it, it's surprising, and, and I think my first grant, I was shocked at how much preliminary data I really had to have. And in some ways, I almost thought I had done most of the grant because I had a piece of data that really spoke to almost every aspect of the grant. But that also shows the reviewers that it's a very feasible grant. And so um, surprisingly, I think you need more preliminary data sometimes than you realize. But what is important is that as you present the preliminary data, I've seen a lot of grants where they show the whole Western blot that they did, but there may only be three lanes that are really relevant for the story they're trying to tell. The other six lanes just sort of uh, take away from the story. And so there's sort of an art to crafting just the data that you need to make the points that you're trying to in your grant. And so that's where having other people read it can, can provide some of that feedback. I cannot emphasize enough how, much, how important it is to start early. Set a timeline for yourself and some deadlines, and you'd really like to be able to give this grant to people to read and have at least a month to get their comments back and let you be able to rework it. Um, in your training plan, I think it's really important for the mentored grants to be sure you're, you specify who's going to teach you what thing. You really cannot be too specific um, in the details about who you're going to have help teach you each aspect that you need to learn for the new training in those grants. And so that's um, a piece of advice there. And then finally, I would say um, one of the things the reviewers have to do is talk about what is the significance or the innovation in your grant. And I like to be able to provide bullet points for those. And so um, when I write a grant, I tend to put that section in innovation as a few bullet points. And hopefully, if I have figured out what the innovation of the grant is correctly, then the reviewer might be able to just lift those same bullet points to move over to the review document. And uh, I think it's just a good exercise for the grant writer to make sure that they know that they can articulate very clearly, clearly, very succinctly what the uh, the innovation and the importance and significance of the grant is. Well, thank you all so much for taking the time uh, to be part of this podcast and share um, some thoughts and, and tips on what is, I think, for a lot of people, a very intimidating and, and challenging uh, part of transitioning. Uh, out of that early career stage. Um, we really appreciate you taking the time, um, and thank you again. My pleasure. Thanks, Mark. Good luck, everyone. Have resiliency. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would like to thank all of our panel members for participating and sharing their insights into this difficult process. And we'd like to thank you, our listeners, for taking some time out of your day to listen to this podcast. 
This will be the first of a series of podcasts on early career topics, so make sure to check back for new episodes if you enjoyed this one. Thanks for listening, and goodbye.